Hi, I'm Terry O'Reilly, founder of OBP Australia, a service for overseas-born professionals looking to either get their first job in Australia or advance their career once they're established in their profession. Welcome to the podcast. Each episode, I'll be talking to an ex-OBP Australia client who's been successful in finding employment in Australia. We'll get to hear about their journey and what advice they have for job seekers. Sally has 15 years experience in organisational transformation and change management across multiple sectors, driving complex changes such as operating model change, technology adoption, organisational design, behavioural change and cultural change. Sally is also a deeply passionate inclusion, diversity and equity advocate, aspiring to drive meaningful change in organisations and communities to create a more inclusive culture where everyone feels they belong. Interestingly, Sally started her profession, her professional life, as a computer software engineer working in automation. Sally, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Terry. So, Sally, we first met six years ago back in 2017. Now, a lot has happened since then, and we'll get to some of that. But think back to when you first arrived in Australia. Tell us a bit about those initial few months. Sure. Um, I can't believe time has passed so quickly. It's been six years already. But when I look back, the first few months, they were very stressful, um, actually quite miserable sometimes. I reckon I may have cried once or twice. And part of the reasons was um, we applied hundreds, if not thousands of jobs in the first few months and didn't get a single response. And what was more stressful was about the house renting. Um, in the first few weeks we landed in Australia, we filed um, quite a few applications to rent a house, didn't get a response either. That really scared me out thinking about maybe we'll end up living nowhere with a two-year-old kid. It was pretty intimidating. And what was more um, desperate was we found that house renting in Australia was completely different in, from what was that in China. It was very easy to get apartments sorted within a few days. You've got your cash ready, you've got a proper ID. That was not a problem in China, but in Australia, it was very, very difficult. We had to provide payslip in Australia, which we didn't have any. We had to provide records of renting a house in Australia to prove that we're decent tenants and we're not going to miss any repayments, which we didn't have either. And we had to provide referrals from our employers and we didn't have a job back then. We also couldn't provide any referrals. So that made that process extremely hard and we couldn't get through. Even we wrote like notes to the landlord, like we're a decent family from China. We just started here. We would like to settle down. We have a two year old kid. So we really want to rent a pretty good condition house. We have our deposits ready. We would love to pay for the rents in advance for six months or even 12 months if you like. 
and we still get didn't get any response. So that was really really a hard time back then. Well, that sounds really stressful. How did you cope? What what did you do to deal with all this uncertainty and barriers that you were facing? Yeah, um, I think one thing was to find some supporting community. Um, after a few weeks, through some friends in the Chinese community, we finally found someone. Well, not through the proper process of renting a house on real estate or domain, we could find someone who had their um, houses or apartments ready. Well, it was like a second-handed renting. It shouldn't be like that. It wasn't the right process to go, but we didn't have any choice because we just couldn't get a house or apartment through the proper channel. We had to rent through through someone else, and we finally got that sorted. Even though just for a short time,、um, but after we landed a job. Things became much easier, but for the first few months, we could just got that from someone else, like in the in very informal and probably not very secure channel. But the point is to find the community who can provide support. Yeah, that's really good advice. It must.、Um, it would have been better if you'd had known some of this beforehand. Do you think? If、uh, before you arrived, it would be great for somebody to fill you in on the difficulties with renting. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? Absolutely, that's the point. Because、um, that was probably the trap we fell into, because we didn't have really good understanding, or we didn't do a lot of research about Australia life and work in Australia. How was that like? And we made a really dangerous assumption. Because、um, we never came to Australia before, before we got granted the visa, we've been traveling to some other countries like America, some European countries. We spent quite a few months in the U.S. living there, so we thought, okay, maybe all the Western countries, all the English-speaking countries, are similar. But when we landed here, we found. It was completely a different world. The language, the culture, working in life was absolutely different from the other countries. It's very unique. So it will definitely be helpful if we've got some experience here in Australia, or we did some research, more research about Australia, or we could reach out to people. Um, our friends or friends' friends, any network we could reach out to, just to talk to people and ask questions, really get the get the background or get more、um, experience how they got through those things. That would be very helpful. Sure. And in the introduction, I mentioned that you、um, your background is as a software engineer. How and why did you shift from software engineering to people and culture? Yeah, that was a very interesting experience. So I had to mention that in China or in a lot of Asian families, it was pretty common that parents got a lot to say about what you should learn about, what you should study in your university, and what career path you should go for, because it's all about social status, all about. The parents' interests all about income. So back then, when I was applying for my university, 
my family also made the decision for me. They believe that IT is the right path to go because it was a booming industry. It brings job security, job opportunities, career development opportunities. So I was made to learn computer science in my university, but I always knew that my passion is more about people more about culture. I like arts, I like social subjects instead of technology. Um, so in my first job as an IT engineer, I do enjoy technology, but not as much as enjoy people interactions, enjoy the social aspect of my job. So I decided to make the shift to people and culture. But it actually took a long time. I spent five years in my technical role, but I started to feel like finding my niche. I started to find my niche in that role. I'm really good at communicating. I'm good at um, interpersonal relationship. I'm really good at articulating complex technology problems to the customers, to the stakeholders. That's where I started to bring more people aspect to my role. I started to do more about like change manager role to um, work together with the stakeholders about those technology solutions, help them to get through, help them to adopt the change. That was the first step. I started to shift from a complete technical role to more of a people um, engaging role. And then I also took a lot of initiative in my um, in my organization to lead a lot of paper programs like corporate social responsibility programs, social clubs, um, corporate events as well, marketing programs, and get my hands on the other um, very interesting projects across the organization to build my credits and build my experience. And after a few years, when that organization started to have a dedicated role, they would like to hire a program manager working on the people and culture side to drive employee experience, drive employee engagement. And then I was at the top of the list they were thinking about because I've already, already built my track records in my IT role. So that was why and how I made that shift. You must be quite an asset to an employer given your technical background. I mean, it, often we don't see people who are highly technical as being great communicators, but you have both sides. So to to embark on a project that involves, you know, technology change, not only are you good with people, but you have a deep understanding of what's required from a technical perspective. Is that fairly unique in people and culture, or would you say there are a lot of people with this double skill set? I think that was really unique, or I think at least that was my advantage or that was my proposition I could provide to any employer I'm after. And I think also that's the point, because now I'm a change manager, not specifically in people and culture or in technology. I'm in the transformation space now, and that's where I found my crossover to different functions. 
I realized that I have that ability to understand technology. And now often a lot of transformation or even a lot of people in culture programs, they need to be enabled by technology. So I have both sides. I can understand technology. I can explain complex technical problems in simple language and communicate to people. And I also understand the people side. I know the drives, I know how to engage people, I know how to bring them on the journey and create an experience for them to understand the change. So I bring them all together and form my own package of capability and help advocate for myself to the employers. Yeah, I would say that's that's my right. unique population. And how did you get your first break in people and culture? Well, back then, I was in China in my first organization. Um, I mentioned that I spent five years in the first technical role. And then when I decided to move to people and culture, I took a few steps to get there. First of all, um, find something that's relevant for people and culture in my existing role. Like I'm a technical person, I'm an IT engineer but I could still do a lot of people and culture related work, um, like volunteer programs, like corporate events, like some specific, like some specific people program would they require leads. I would just put my hand up to lead those programs to show my ability and show my leadership and build my network within the organization as well. And I think the second step was really about knowing the right people um, through those programs, being volunteer, being the leaders of those programs. I was able to work very closely with the HR department, with the senior leaders across the organization to really make myself visible. So when the opportunity came up, um, I was already able to prove that I'm, I'm the right person for that role. So I think the second point was really important to know the right people. And the third point I would like to make was exactly you don't have to be um, in the operational or in the hardcore HR role just to find the overlap between your current role and your target role in people and culture. For example, people and culture also has a lot of other roles. They have data analytics roles. They have they also have technology roles. They also have program managers. Um, they also have strategic side of HR. They need to do change management. They need to do project management, etc. So you don't have to be a payroll officer or you don't have to be a business partner to get into people and culture. You can be a technical a person in people and culture, you can be a change, you can be project manager, you can even be say diversity inclusion advocate in the HR function as well. So find the overlap. Um, so find the path to get you from point A to point B. Finding overlap, that's really, really useful advice. I have a lot of HR people and culture clients. And one of the difficulties is trying to translate what they've done in their first country so it's applicable here in Australia. Some have, you know, presented with barriers such as, you know, they don't understand the Fair Work Act or dealing with awards or unions or enterprise bargaining agreements. This is more in the HR side of things. 
how did you translate what you your experience from China for the Australian context? Yeah, that's a really good question. I also found that barrier at the beginning as well, because my experience in China didn't ring any bell in a lot of organizations here. First of all, they may not know my previous employer, and often they just um, they probably look at your CV and just doesn't see any experience in Australia. They will just turn you down directly. Um, I think the first breakthrough was really through people. Um, I still, re Terry, I remember when I first met you, I've got a lot of applications, but I didn't get back from any of them. So I think, first of all, tweak the CV is also very important. Just need to understand the context in Australia, what they are looking for, what are the keywords when they look through the CVs um, and using the language, using the right, right words to show that you understand what's the requirement of that job and what's the context in Australia. And I think it's very important to also using the networking or using the people you know in that organization. Because what I found was whenever I get a chance to talk to people, to explain my experience a little bit more and expand that, people understand that because I'm talking the right language with them. But if they just look at my CV, it was in China, they may just close the door already. Um, so I think find the way to create opportunity to talk to people, get myself in the interview or coffee catch up. That's really important. It helped me to articulate more about my story and my experience. And it also shows the real person that I'm that kind of person that can re work really well with them. That's also a very important element. Exactly. And, and to show them how you communicate as well. I mean, even if you have a resume that is full of all the keywords and you're saying all the right things, striking the right chords, they still don't get to talk to you. <laughs> and and meeting somebody in person and hear, hearing, hearing them speak and, and listening to them ask intelligent questions and all of that is so critical. So that's really good advice. Um, now, you're also a contributor to the book Undefeated, which is a project initiated by professional migrant women. Tell us about how that came about and what you were hoping to achieve with that. Yeah, I'm very excited about that book. It was a big achievement for me last year. Um, so I got to know professional migrant women during pandemic, actually. I wish I could have that kind of supporting community when I just came to Australia. I think they create a very strong um, network for very specific group of people, migrants, professional women. Um, and often we found that we struggle when we just landed to Australia in terms of job seeking, in terms of life, in terms of career development and just finding ourselves landed while well, finding our feet on the ground in Australia. So that book came up last year as an idea to really showcase 118 stories from professional migrant women who managed to get through that journey in Australia. 
I think that was very powerful because a we wanted to create an environment for these group of women to support each other to know that we're not alone we've got so many people who have been through this journey who can share their tips share their stories and who can provide support so we can see and we can be we know that our destination is just right there and we are able to get there that's really helpful and another thing we would like to achieve is on the other side we've seen even people got through the journey landed a proper job having a few years career journey often we still have to go through challenges we still have to overcome language barriers culture barriers and often a lot of migrants have to compromise their career by stepping down a few levels often we see people who are two or three levels down in the organization from where they were in their home country and we believe that migrants have so much to offer because they've got rich experience in the industry in their previous organizations and the level of motivation determination the level of resilience to settle down in a new country is huge these things can really bring a lot to offer in corporate australia that's what we really want to advocate like looking at those stories these are amazing women they can drive so many changes in the community in the corporate australia in the country they have so much value to offer and they deserve to be in the decision making table they deserve to be in leadership roles to create an environment that's much easier for more and more migrants to really um help have their value contributed to this country so that's what we really want to advocate through this book and it's been really well um the book is pretty um the book has been sold really fast and really good on amazon on a lot of channels and we're doing a road show across the country to the libraries to meet with the community um, meet with people in different community and to promote that. So it's been really good. Well, what's the feedback been like? I, I'm guessing that people are, uh, are re really grateful for you getting out there and, and putting people's stories in, in the, the fore. And um, have you had any feedback? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got lots and lots of feedback um, in all our events, as well as LinkedIn and the Professional Migrant Women channel. A lot of migrant women who have been through this journey or who are still struggling in Australia, um, they came to us and say they're really grateful for reading those stories. A, they felt really empowered because they felt exactly they felt they are not alone. There are so many other people out there who've been through this. And they were really grateful that they could find a group of people like-minded to support each other. And most importantly, I think to read other people's story also made us to reflect, well, that was such a journey and we all have very unique value. We are going through a self-discovery journey and we can get stronger and stronger just like the book title like we're undefeated that's really powerful yes yes great title 
And just just to finish up, what advice do you have for somebody who's about to embark on the immigration journey? So take yourself back to before you left China, what would you tell somebody to do? Yep, that's a good question. If I could tell myself a few years ago, I would say do a lot of research before you move to Australia. For example, what career paths you can have in Australia and what are the requirements. Just look through those job applications, just look through those job um, ads to look through what are the requirements, say uh, qualification, certificates, experience, and try to build that even before you arrived at Australia. For example, if you want to be a data analyst, what takes you to get a data analyst role in Australia? Some of the accreditations you can even get from your home country or you can even get online. It's so convenient now after pandemic and you can get a lot of online trainings, certificates from Australia that's going to be acknowledged here that will help you to get something on your resume and also build your experience to help you transition in Australia to the career paths you want to. And I think the second advice is also very important to connect with people in advance, connect with people in Australia to understand what's that really like. And it's not an advertisement, it's my real story, Terry. I think hiring you as my career advisor was absolutely the turning point of my job seeking before that i didn't get any response from the application but after meeting you you share with me a lot of information how does the job market work in australia what's the tips to get through the cv screening to get myself into interview to have opportunity to talk to people so hiring someone who know the job market who have proven experience to helping people land their job in australia but whoever in the home country now considering move to australia they can start to do this kind of job counseling now that will be very helpful and I think last but not least is to really find the community. Um, for example, I'm from China. I would have like get into Chinese community or if I would like to land a people and culture job, um, I need to look for who are the professional bodies in Australia. Is there like HR community? Is there any people and culture community, change manager community? Get into those professional communities to help um, get to know people and reach out to a few people on LinkedIn and just to prepare early even before arriving at Australia. Excellent advice. That's really um, well considered and everything you say really has a, a ring of authenticity, Sally, and I'm glad our conversations were useful, so that's great. Now, thank you for giving your time up today to have a chat. It's been um, wonderful. And I think your insights are going to be really helpful for everybody else. And congratulations on all the success you've had so far with your career, the book, uh, and your life in general. And good luck going forward. Thank you so much, Terry. It was so lovely to talking to you. OBP Australia provides guidance and support with job applications and approaching employers, 
industry awareness, interview coaching, and language and communication. You'll also be introduced to your professional peers already working in Australia, so you can get the lowdown on what's happening in your industry or profession. If you're looking for guidance and support to find your next job, email me at terry at obpaustralia.com.au. Let's talk.